0: Glad to see you all here this morning, uh, we're happy to have you here this morning. I was uh, I was thinking throughout the week. It's we all go through our own trials and uh, difficulties, and then we all have our own blessings. And this is where we come together, and uh, this is our release and and a place of worship. And we come together. It's a special time. It's it's the church, and I'm so grateful for the church this morning, and so grateful to have you all as family and, and uh, just so blessed. And so uh, I wanted to, uh, to come in together in prayer for a moment. Dear God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your son and the sacrifice he made. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in you and only in you. Lord, we thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for uh, the hearts that you've received, Lord, and for the changes you're making in each one of us, Lord, through the struggles and, and through the lessons in life that you continue to teach and, and work through us. God, we thank you for, for just loving us, loving us right where we are and for who we are. And Lord, um, we thank you for this time. Focus us, Lord, in on your word and... I want you to have to show us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, my, my dad, he's he's on the road um, out west with the Willises and the Blackwells, and heard a funny story this week that uh, they were going to ride their motorcycles up to the mountain, and, uh, and my dad apparently took off in a T-shirt, not realizing when he got to the top of the mountain, it was going to be 40 degrees. <laughs> so he said it's the coldest he's ever been in his life, but... Uh, this sounds about right. Um, well, this morning, Chris has been gracious enough to fill in for us, so I just wanted you all to welcome Chris. <laughs> Is
1: this thing on? Okay. Thank you so much for that introduction, Brad, as I did reading glasses, so I'm going to have to find a light to go in, so this will work. Okay, perfect. Again, my name is Chris Dean. I am I'm a friend of your pastor. I met him. I'm actually a church planner up in Indianapolis. Yep. Hallelujah. And all God's people said, amen. Okay. Again, my name is Chris Dean. I'm a church planner from Indianapolis. I had the privilege of meeting your pastor earlier this year, just trying to get to meet local pastors and figure out who's who in our greater community. And so he and I hit it off and he had the privilege of asking me if I wanted to fill in for him today. So I'm honored to be here. Okay. I'll just keep my arms out. Or stand still. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, I'll just keep going. Let's see. This is an amazing little tool you have here. Okay. I'm going to start us out by playing a video here.
2: My king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. evil he blesses
1: What do you think of that? Funny enough, in all of that video, the name was never mentioned. Who is that talking about? Jesus Christ, amen. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I wanted to use that as an introduction to the sermon today. I'm actually preaching a sermon entitled, Christ, Your Very Life. And that is taken from what I'm going to preach on today, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-4. through 4. If you have your Bible, you can turn it. Otherwise, I'll read it off the screen here. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let me open this up in prayer. Father above, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, you are indeed everything to us. We have nothing but that which you have given us, O Lord, so that we cannot boast in ourselves, but boast in you and you alone. Thank you for this opportunity to meet here today where we can open up your word and understand who you are and what you say about yourself so that we might be like Jesus Christ. Lord, I have a burden on my heart right now for the people of Houston they are going through uh, catastrophic flooding right now, uh, and I pray that you will keep people safe, that you will guide them to safety and to shelter, that you will provide comfort and peace to those who are broken, who are injured, who are hurting, and that your church will rise up and provide comfort, provide help to be the very hands and feet of Christ in this moment. I also pray safety and blessings upon Pastor Paul and his wife Vicki as they are still on vacation. I pray that he would be refreshed and restored so that he can come back and serve this church all the more diligently and vibrantly and lead people into the fullness of who you are, Jesus Christ. In your name I pray. Amen. One of the things that I've heard somebody even mention today is that we are to reach the world, but how are we to reach this world? Can we reach the world in our natural state? Can we reach the world using the things of the world? We're still in the world, the scripture says, but we're not of the world. We are truly, in a sense, we're extra-dimensional beings, we are living in this world and yet we're living not in this world as well we cannot reach this world with jesus christ without first being in christ and then using the means he has revealed in his word to go and then spread the news about him in this world and so it presumes that only us as christians can actually be the ones to go out into the world we're the ones with the marching orders Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So starting off with this verse here where it says, if then you have been raised with Christ. This is the Apostle Paul talking to a church in Colossae. But nevertheless, he presumes that they are saved, that they are Christians that he's speaking to. But we know elsewhere from Scripture, we know elsewhere from Paul's writings, we know from the Old and New Testaments, the church is a mixed gathering. There are sheep in with the goats. There are tares in with the wheat. We know that in any place, there's going to be people who are mature, people who are new, and people who are still coming to Christ. And so it's a good admonishment from, in this case, the Apostle Paul, just to get that momentary check if you're in Christ. Examine yourself. What is your motivation? What is your direction and purpose in life. Who do you love? And that's what the whole point of the sermon is, to validate who we are in Christ, who our faith is in, and what he has done for us so that then we can go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. There's a lot of theology in this verse, and this is something I particularly love. I love to talk about theology. If then you have been raised with Christ. Raised would imply... It, it evokes the Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It evokes us. We were being once dead. We were unsaved. We were carnal people here in this world. And then what did God do? At some point, we heard the word of God. We heard it preached. We heard a radio program. We read the Bible. The word of God came into us. And while we were dead, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and then sent his word into the world so that we could be leavened by it and that the Holy Spirit could cause us to come alive. We will be raised from the dead unto life. It's called being born again, being saved. Simple as that. We go from death unto life. We are a new creation. And so Ezekiel especially talks about this in the Old Testament. You may have heard the analogy, the valley of dry bones, for example. And so the world is analogized to be the valley of dry bones. But then all of a sudden, God brings them together. And there's flesh put on them and they come to life and the breath of God comes into them. That's what happens when we're saved. We have this old dead heart of stone within us taken out and a new heart of flesh put in us. A heart that loves what God is and and is the ability to see God and love him on his terms rather than loving our sin. We instead hate our sin and love our God who commands us to repent of our sins. We are new creations truly. Ephesians 2, 4, and 6 really describes this well. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were unsaved, that is, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Again, the scriptural language there, being raised. We are with him. We're raised so that we can know him and have fellowship with him. He delights in that. He's given us purpose not only in this life but also in all of eternity. Nothing is an accident. Nothing just happens. God, who knows the end from the beginning, has planned all things together. Indeed, works all things together for good so that we can be with him and know him. So that we even have the delight of knowing his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Not only now, but here and then forever and ever and ever. Because we don't deserve any of that. We are sinners to the core. I don't know about you, but I am, in the words of Paul... I am the chief of sinners. I am the worst sinner that I know. And I hope you as Christians can say the same thing, that God would, despite knowing who you are, what your thoughts are, what you've done in the past, that he can take a filthy wretch like you and shed his amazing grace upon you and lift you up to be with him as his brother, as his son, as his chosen and beloved forever and ever. Another scripture puts it this way. Philippians 3 20 and 21 but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things unto himself we are indeed subject unto him and indeed it's our delight to do so yes it's our duty we have obligations as Christians but it's our delight to do so He has given us his heavenly citizenship. That's why I said we are extra-dimensional beings in a sense. Yes, we are in the world. Our outsides are here. But our insides, in a sense, are up in heaven with God. We behold him through his word. We delight in him. We want him to be known here on earth as it is in heaven. Another scripture which talks about this well. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. His divine power... "...has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who is Jesus, who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." Truly, we are new creations." Yes, we're still in the world. There's still sin and trials and temptations and brokenness that we have in this world. Not only of our own still, we're battling our flesh, but also that's inflicted upon us. But nevertheless, God has given us this down payment of what heaven is and what eternity is in our hearts. He's given us his word so that we can truly taste and see that he is good. He has allowed us to share in his nature We truly share in his glory and his excellence. We are a new creation, and we have those very great promises which will never break and shall never change. He is indeed that one who has begun that good work in us, and he will bring it to conclusion. One of the things that is really striking for us as Christians is that uh, I kind of grew up in a place where for a season... Earlier in my life, it was I was in part of a kind of a prosperity gospel-like situation where there was a lot of name it, claim it stuff in a sense. It wasn't some of the far stuff you would see out there, but it was enough that it never quite really settled right with me. And so when I was told that God wants to give us the desires of our heart, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that he's going to give us necessarily a Cadillac or riches or wealth or influence. Rather, it means... That when we have that new heart, that heart of flesh that he puts into us, that heart has its own desires. Our desires are God's desires. And when it says he'll give us the desires of our heart, he'll literally put in his desires for us in our heart, in our minds. And we want what God wants. I think it couldn't be put any better than it says in the Lord's Prayer. And I've, I've come here a few times now, and I'm sure that we will occasionally say that, so... You know the Lord's Prayer, and this is the first verse of that. Just read it aloud with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is our primary delight as Christians. May your kingdom come, your will, your ways, your righteousness, your goodness come to earth. Be here on earth as it is in heaven. We are the down payment of that kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are his hands and feet. We are his salt and light in this world. We are called to go out to the ends of the earth, the highways and the hedges, compel people to come in to his church, to his kingdom. We are his ambassadors of righteousness. We are the ones who are to go out there and be that hands and feet of him, as I said. We're the ones to go and preach Repentance. We're the ones that are called to proclaim the greatness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who gives us our marching orders. We're the ones that are called to give a cup of cold water, to practice true religion to those who are in need. So going back to Colossians, where it talks about the things above. The things above are primarily what else? Why, is he- why, why does we talk about things above? Why do we want to go to heaven when we die? What is heaven? Heaven is the place where God is. Heaven is not merely this, the place where there are streets of, per, uh, streets of gold or gates of pearl. Heaven is heaven because God is there. God is the infinite God who knows everything past, present, and future, who is unlimited and infinite in all of his ways, he is the one whom we are going to spend forever and ever and ever exploring and getting to know better and being more like. Yes, we will be perfect in heaven, but we won't be infinite like God. We'll share in that perfect nature that he has, but we've been created primarily for eternity. And to bring people in this short little time while we're still still here on this earth, to bring people into eternity so that they can have that perfect fellowship with him with God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, forever and ever and ever. And this verse, really, these sections of verses talk about this here. In, in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, there are four instances where it talks about being with Christ. It talks about being with Christ, where Christ, with Christ, and when Christ. The whole Christian life is about nothing but Jesus Christ, ultimately. We want what he wants. We have that new heart with new desires. We want his kingdom to come, and we are his soldiers. We are his people here on the ground to do what he wants in preparation for that one day when he will come back and he will make all things new. Colossians 2 talks about, but don't focus here on things on the earth. And I think Brad did a fantastic job last week talking about the things that we are to put off in a sense and so, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You may remember earlier in when we read 2 Peter, where it talked about his divine power has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, the word he's given to us contains everything we need for life and godliness. So the wisdom of the world can come and go. It can change depending upon the particular culture you're in, the particular time frame you're in. But what is the one thing that is timeless and unchangeable? That is the word of God that we are reading from now, that we use as our source of authority here in this life. James 1 through 4 really talks about some of the implications of when we think in worldly ways or think in ways... Before we were, we were even Christians in the first place, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. So you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we as Christians, we know inherently that the things of this world are going to lead us away from God. We know who the God of this world is. The Bible describes that as Satan. We know that the world is in his control for a season. We know that Jesus rules and reigns. And the earth is his footstool, and he has conquered, but not all of his enemies are yet under his feet. And so that's what we are to do while there is still time to take this eternal wisdom and to be renewed in our minds through constantly reading the word of God and to understand who we are in Christ and then tell the world about it until that one day when Jesus comes back and make all things new. The Christian life is basically becoming who we already are in him. Here's another admonition. 1 John two fifteen and 17. Do not love the, th- the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And I actually had picked this verse out to read even before I had heard Brad's sermon from last Sunday when he quoted the very same scripture. So I think God is definitely doing something here. But this really amps it up even more in the sense that we are not called to be of this world. We're truly, as the Bible described elsewhere, aliens and strangers here in this world. And it also begs the question, you have to ask yourself, What is my primary love? Do I look like the world? Do I smell like the world? Do I talk like the world? Do I act like the world? Do I do the things the world do and does? Or is my primary motivation and desire to be like Jesus Christ? Knowing all his great promises. Knowing the goodness of the Lord. Knowing all of the blessings and grace and mercy that he has given us. What do I spend my time doing? Yes, we are easy to forget. We are hard-headed. Even as Christians... We are slow to come to growth and change. But what's the direction of your life? This is another opportunity where we can just give a little question. self-examination of our hearts. Where are we at before the Lord? And part of that is knowing what God has already done in us. He has lifted us up. He has given us that heavenly citizenship. He has given us this position out of the world in a sense. And he's given us that down payment of that in the Holy Spirit. As I said, the Christian life is basically becoming who we already are. We have been given the righteousness of Christ. We have been declared holy and blameless before him. And now, while we are still in this world, it is our joy to essentially become what he has already declared us to be through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We've already been justified. We're already this new creation. We're still in the world, as I said, but we're not of the world. And that's why we need to renew our minds through the water of the word washing over us, causing us to become aware of this more and more and more. And so one of the greatest delights of the Christian life is to be like Jesus Christ through reading his word and realizing who he is and what he has done for us. And from that, seeing that amazing grace that he has given us seeing the beauty and awesomeness the goodness and the reality of this of who our god is that should cause us to be just overflow with wonder love and praise and the power of god through the indwelling holy spirit eclipses the power of sin in this world these desires that we have are for good So we put off our old ways, we repent of our sins, and we put on righteousness. That is, we start doing what God wants. Because that's our primary desire. We want to do what God wants. And yes, he will give us our unique desires of our heart. We're not all the same. We all have specific personalities and desires and places and stuff like that. But we have far more in common with each other than we do in the world. You may have heard the old saying, blood is thicker than water referring to family connections transcend even that of friendships. When there are tough times, family sticks together even before friends do. And that's true, but something is even beyond that. What's the common thing that we as Christians have? We have the Holy Spirit within us, and spirit is thicker than blood. This here is our true family, the kingdom of God as revealed in those who are truly Christians Here in this community and beyond, but especially in our local church community, this is our true family. More so than even any blood relations that we have that are unsaved. Yes, we are called to be responsible before them. We are worse than an unbeliever if we don't take care of them. But our true family is here. We truly get one another. We know who we love, who we serve, why we do what we do. We get each other. The world fundamentally doesn't. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Christ wants us to be like him. Our desire is to be that which is the will of God, good, acceptable, and perfect. When Jesus said, be perfect, you know, as I am perfect, that doesn't mean that we have the ability to be that in the world. Or you may have heard the bumper sticker which says, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. But again, there's an additional part beyond that which says, but we want to be perfect. We want to be like God. We hold on to the promises that he has given us. And we have these benchmarks, these barometers in a sense, that if we see somebody or ourselves upon self-examination heading down directions or doing things which aren't consistent with the will of God, we still have sinful patterns within us. And don't get me wrong, we as Christians, we will always be imperfect. We will always be sinful here in this world. It's not about the ultimate perfection, but it's about direction. We want to be like Jesus Christ, and we will do what it takes to pursue him as a style of life, and we will grow in his love and righteousness over the course of our life. We are continually being, as we understand the word, as we continually exhort and admonish one another in the church in love, we are being continually transformed by the renewing, the growing, the maturing, the changing of our mind, and then by testing. God didn't leave us in the world simply so that we can... Just read and know. No, unfortunately, because our sin is so deep and so pervasive, he will oftentimes bring us to our knees because we're so easy to be puffed up in our own pride and think, oh, okay, Lord, I get you. You know, I'm going to pat myself on the back. Look at what I'm doing. And in reality, we're giving ourselves the glory and not God. So he allows trials and tribulations and temptations. He promises that. It's a form of testing, as the scripture says. So that we may discern the will of God. Because when we come to the end of ourselves, we become at various places in our life, not only especially when we first became a Christian, but even beyond that, we become like the publican who in in the presence of Jesus started beating his breast saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Or in the words of Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You and you alone are the one that has the words of eternal life. We recognize that we cannot save ourselves or even keep ourselves saved in our own power. It is God who has done his first work in us. Like I said before, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he gives us everything we need for life and godliness. He gives us his Holy Spirit as the down payment of what he has done and what he is always going to do in us. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, let me read it. It says, And I, this is Paul, talking to the church at, at Corinth, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and message were not in implausible words of wisdom, that is worldly wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God will is so gracious and merciful. He will allow us, even as Christians, to go and engage in patterns of sin for a season just so that we can come to the end of it and see the utter bankruptcy, the worthlessness of it. Or he'll allow people to inflict sin upon us so that we will be brought to our knees. And we will turn to him and say, Lord, we have nowhere to go but by you. And we'll recognize that the things of this world, the coping mechanisms of this world, the tools of this world really have no eternal power whatsoever. They might bring distraction for a season, but they don't bring true comfort, true peace and joy that surpasses understanding. Only God's will, God's word, God's way can do that. In fact, I know it is the desire of Pastor Paul, and I hope it is myself in the capacity as preachers and teachers, but all of us as Christians as well, like the Apostle Paul, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We shouldn't be bringing worldly wisdom into how we deal with one another, into the primary message of what is taught here in this pulpit or any other pulpit. We're not here to advocate politics or anything else like that. We are here to talk about eternal realities because we're talking about eternal life and eternal death here. And so Jesus Christ, his will, his ways, his truth, his glory is what the world needs to understand how we are sinners, how we are eternally bankrupt before God forever and ever. And there are ways that we can provide Temporary comfort and wisdom, like I said, things of this world. But ultimately, what does it matter if you get the world's version of perfect peace, but in the end, you lose your soul? So we have to keep in mind that we are citizens in both heaven and here. In fact, our primary citizenship, our primary identity is in Christ, is in heaven. We are aliens and strangers here. We are his ambassadors We do the marching orders of our king. We are to go out and tell the world about him. We use his strategy, his words as revealed in the Bible. That is what is needed for life and godliness. The words of of God which divide asunder soul and spirit and divide the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That is what we live by. That is what we should breathe. That is what we should eat more than our daily bread in fact. And then in verse 4 of Colossians 4, it talks about, we will appear with him in glory. Oops, I actually skipped a verse. Galatians two nineteen and 20. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We as Christians, we will never accomplish one iota of anything for our salvation. There's nothing that any of us can do to ever be good enough to earn even the slightest, tiniest bit of mercy from God. But yet, how do we still live and breathe and have all of his promises? It is sheer grace. As I said before, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Knowing who you are today, knowing every thought and deed you've ever done, he chose you to partake in his glory, to partake in his salvation. He gave you that grace and mercy which surpasses our understanding. We are in him not through anything that we have done, not through any works that we might boast. Oh, no. It's by his grace alone that he gets all the glory. Ephesians 1, <clears throat> 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed with him, were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We as good Baptists, we believe, and I know Pastor Paul in this church believes and teaches, the concept of the persevering of the saints. He who has begun a good work in us, he who has saved us, he is faithful to keep us until the end. He has given us that down payment of heaven, the Holy Spirit within us, with from which nothing can ever separate us from his love. Neither height, nor depth, nor trials, or tribulations, nor anything past, present, nor angels, nor demons, nor any power in all the universe is able to separate us from his love. What he started in us as a loving father, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah for that. And so verse 4 talks about that we will, and in the Greek, it, it's, it's emphatic. To vo- for those of us who are saved, we will. It is a guaranteed future accomplishment. We will appear with him in glory. So think about the implications of that. We are already eternally saved. Eternal life has already begun for us. There's a season in which we are still in this world, and he still is usefulness for us here in this world, To go out to be his hands and feet, to go out and make disciples of all nations, to go bring people to Christ and then to greater Christ likeness. We could certainly worship, think about it this way, when we became saved, when we were born again, why didn't God take us straight to heaven? I kind of gave away the end of this already, but when we were, we could certainly worship God, seeing him face to face, couldn't we? We could certainly pray to God better, talking directly to him face-to-face. We could certainly sing and know about him better, in a sense, face-to-face. But why did he leave us here in this world? To spread the the good news. Amen. That is the one good thing that we can't do in heaven. We cannot tell others about Jesus Christ. In In heaven, everybody knows Jesus. But to those of us who have been transformed, who have been saved, who have tasted and seen that he is good, we want other people to experience that grace and mercy that they don't deserve. Just as God used somebody to stand in our path as we were blind, dead people careening on our way to hell that we didn't even believe existed, he used somebody to stand in front of us and say, stop and repent and believe the truth. He wants us to do the same thing. So so if we have been given that grace and mercy that we don't deserve, why aren't we out sharing that? Yes, I know not everybody has every gift imaginable to be a charismatic speaker or to be able to precisely know systematic theology and relate it. But we all have a place in the kingdom to to hold the rope while others go down into the well, to go into the the pit in the miry darkness here in this world, to, to be that light in the darkness. In all of our places, in all of our ways, according to all of our gifts, we can all do that. We all have influences in our lives where there are unbelievers. We know already from scripture that the majority of the world are unbelievers in the first place. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 7, when he's talking about the narrow road and the broad road, the house that was built on the foundation of sand versus rock, those are all people who would declare Lord, Lord in the first place. They're all declaring themselves to be followers of Jesus. And even then, there's few and many. So we know, as I said in the beginning, that the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares will always be mixed in together somehow. So we always have an ability to be an influence for Jesus Christ here in the world. So with whatever strength, with whatever gifts he has given you, go and do it. Don't live your life in such a way that one day, if it was even possible, that when we got to heaven... Remember that song, I could only imagine what that would be like when we see Jesus for the first time. I know in heaven it says he will wipe away all of our tears. This is a bit of speculation on my part. But what could it possibly be that if we got to heaven one day and we saw him, and I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit where it talks about in, the, in verse 4 of Colossians 3, Christ who is your life. The one who is our life, who's given us absolutely everything we need for life and godliness, who's given us the forgiveness of our sins, who's given us these eternal promises. Once we get into his presence in heaven and we see him in all of his glory, his infinite majesty face to face for the first time, and we think, oh, Lord, you are so great. Oh, that I would have done more back in the day. Maybe that's when he'll wipe away our tears. And realize that God is God and he doesn't need our good works. But he uses them for his own good. And we're not blessed by our good works. We don't earn our salvation by that. But nevertheless, we have this obligation and a delight. It's more a delight than it is a duty here in this world. To go out and make him known in this world. So I encourage you, I entreat you. While we still have opportunity in this world, tell others about our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 18. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, who is also Lord in addition to Jesus. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are truly peculiar people here in this world. We should truly... Be known by who we are. Can your friends look at you? Can your family look at you and say, that person's a Christian. Something's different about them. What's unusual about them? What's that hope that we have within us? How can we share that? How can we be a blessing to one another in word and deed? Is Christ our life? Are we, remember the example where Jesus was talking about How people should be lights of God in the world, and we shouldn't cover them up with baskets. We should be the city on a hill, shining brightly into the darkness. We shouldn't uh, hide that. We should shine it forth brightly. We have that image of Jesus Christ within us, and we have, we share his glory. And it should be our greatest delight and desire, especially if we have, again, tasted and seen that he is good, to tell others about him. To go out and make him known. I heard this quote once. Christ doesn't just give life. He is life. He is the very definition of everything. That is good, real, beautiful, and true. Every category of existence. Every dimension of being. He has created. He is the epitome of that. And I'll praise the Lord for that. He, he doesn't have any, as scripture would say, any variation or shadow due to change. He is in the unchangeable God. We don't have to worry about if he is going to change his mind or if once he has begun that good work in us, he's suddenly going to decide, oops, okay, I don't, I, I'm mad at him now. We're out of his presence again. We don't have to worry about that. We can be confident to know that when he has started something in us, he will finish it. And in reality, part of this new heart with new desires, we are so amazed by who he is And what he has done, we won't want to go back anyway. We will never go back. Part of why he allows us to have these trials and tribulations is to taste and see the sin and to see how bad it is. In heaven, will we have the ability to sin? No. But will we want to sin? No. Why? God allows us, in a sense, to say here in this world, in sin for a season, to come to the end of it. We have tasted and seen that it is bad. It does nothing but destroy and divide, and we want nothing more to do with it. And he uses, the the, the sin is so ingrained into us that it takes a lifetime, in a sense, to get rid of it. (laughs) But praise the Lord that he will keep us. He will hold us. When we have nowhere to go, he and his promises are sure and fast, and he will give us comfort and peace, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Romans 8, 31 through 36 and 38 and 39. So what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who raises us, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us right now and indeed forevermore. Take comfort, take heart, people. When you think that you're alone, when you think that God can't forgive you, God can't save you, realize we will never do anything good enough. We will never do enough to earn the favor of God. But because he loved us, Despite ourselves, he's chosen us. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Every eternal blessing. Let that be a comfort for us to knowing that Jesus, whoever lives to intercede for us, will not stumble, will not fail. There is not a prayer of Jesus that the Father will not answer. So if Jesus is praying for you, rest assured you are safe and secure and you will not be separated from his love. Let me continue on. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, and that includes us, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. We are truly new creations. We are born again. Our minds are being renewed and constantly washed in the power of the word, bringing us from one degree of glory to another. And he who began that good work in us will bring it to completion. Christ is indeed our life. We have nowhere to go but to him. We have nothing that we have except it's from him. Not only in this life he who created us and holds the whole world, the whole universe in the palm of his hands. But also, he will hold us and comfort us and be in, allow us, not just out of a responsibility he has, but out of sheer joy. Like in the verse, very one of the very first verses we said, why were we created? I heard it put this way once. God the Father so loved God the Son that he gave the Son an entire created order of beings that would worship him and glorify him in the totality of his mercy and attributes forever and ever and ever. And you and I as the church, we are part of that. We were created for a season to be here in this world to tell others, but we're created in eternity to be with him and to enjoy him and to appreciate him and to love him and to cherish him forever and ever and ever. I hope the desire that we have today is best encapsulated by Psalm twenty-seven four. This is the Psalm of David when he was at one of his lowest points. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When we see that the Lord is good, that in his amazing, infinite, grace and mercy, that he who started that work in us, that he who is the definition of what is good, real, beautiful, and true, we will be so transfixed, so blown away by how wonderful he is. The power of sin, the power of condemnation, the power of evil will be eclipsed by the wonder of his glory and grace that he shares with us that he's given us that down payment of in the Holy Spirit that he has given us through the renewing of our minds, being transformed and sharing in that degree of glory from one degree to another, now and forevermore. Let me close this out here in a scriptural prayer. Now to him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is able to keep you from stumbling, And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. That will be the prayer, the joy, the cry of our hearts forever and ever. And I pray that you know that and tell the world about it. Amen.